read uh, our scripture. We have a number of Proverbs that we're going to study today. I want to read uh, it once, and then I'll ask you to read it with me. Proverbs 12, 15. The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Would you all say it with me? The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Lord God, we just thank you for everybody in this room. We thank you that we have a moment to study your word with our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're just we're so grateful for that. We thank you for the opportunity to lift our hearts to you in worship, to lift our problems to you, Lord, our pain, our grief, our, our hopes, our fears, uh, knowing that, 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 that you cover all, that you can hold all of that. We just pray right now that you would open your word to us, that we could become wiser people and more attentive to your leading. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning again. My name is Matt. If you don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here. And we are studying the book of Proverbs. We're calling it Wise Up. And it's a book full of wisdom, full of God's wisdom for our everyday life choices. And we're on our third week, and there's a small group curriculum that goes along with it. And uh, hopefully you've gotten to to join a life group. If not, we can connect you uh, with one where you can discuss this more in depth. And our theme today is, is foolishness. And I thought it'd be appropriate to start off uh, with a story about me being a fool. Does that sound good? The great thing about this is I have endless stories uh, that follow this thing. But, but this one particular Matt Fool story goes like this. I worked at a camp uh, in, uh, called Westminster Woods, which is up in the Redwoods north of San Francisco. It's a Presbyterian camp where uh, kids can come up for a week. And I was a college student when I worked there. And uh, one uh, night after the work day, myself and some other counselors thought it'd be fun to, to hike up the mountain in the late evening hours to where the ropes course is. There's this kind of high-hanging cargo net. We'll go hang out on that and, uh, and just look up at, at the stars and, and just enjoy the, enjoy the evening. And as we're heading up, one of the older, more seasoned counselors said to us, hey guys, uh, I recommend you bring flashlights. And we said, what'd we say? Nah, eh, we'll be fine. That's what we said, we'll, we'll be fine. So we, we hike up the mountain, we're going up the thing, up to where the cargo nets are, you know. We lay down on the, um, on the cargo net, we're hanging out, and you know, we can't see the stars. That's kind of interesting, I guess, because the, the forest canopy, you know, covers that up. We didn't think that through. But, but we're having a good time, and we're out there, we're hanging out, enjoying this company, and the sun sets, and it goes dark, and... And then eventually uh, it gets time where we think, you know, we, we should probably head back down the mountain. How many of you have ever been in a dense forest at night? Anybody had that experience? It is shockingly dark. <laughs> you, 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 don't, you don't really anticipate, or at least I didn't anticipate just how dark it can be in a dense forest where, when there's a canopy, a thick canopy of of, uh, you know, red was over, over the top. Uh, so there was no moon. There was no stars. When we, when we had said, no, thanks, we don't need a flashlight, one of the guys in the group, <laughs> one of the guys in the group had said, don't worry, uh, I was a Boy Scout. I can navigate us home by the stars. <laughs> and we're like, ah, oh, we got a Boy Scout with us. You know, what could go wrong? But, but uh, you couldn't see the stars, and so the Boy Scout was worthless to us. And... Uh, <laughs> And, and it was just absolutely, completely 
pitch black. Like, I, I can't even describe how, like, you can't see your own hand right in front of you. And trying to go down a mountain through a thick forest, we're like scratching up our legs. We're like literally bumping into trees, bumping into each other, stumbling and falling. Like we, we cannot navigate. And we know that where there's a path that goes down this mountain, but there's also some steep drop off to the side if you go the wrong way. And so we're, 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 you know, we're like, I mean, we're just walking around completely. And we, we could not, we just were, we were pretty stuck. We're like, we, we cannot, we know it's somewhat downhill. So we're just, we're kind of doing this and we're crashing into stuff and we're getting actually like cuts and stuff on us. And until, until eventually we see way down the hill, we see somebody uh, with a flashlight way down the mountain who's like going to the bathroom, right? They're, they're and we're like, help, help. And we're calling for help. And, and eventually the person uh, brings a flashlight, you know, up the mountain and comes. And we all like, you know, climb down from whatever we were on. And we just follow the person with the flashlight down the mountain to safety. Anybody ever been in a situation like that? Anybody ever been in a situation where somebody had to come get you out? We all find ourselves in some kind of situation like that at times when we're in a new situation we've never been in before. Some kind of new predicament, some kind of new danger, some, some, some new life scenario we don't know how to navigate and we're all stumbling around the dark. So here's this point about Proverbs' use of the word fool. Proverbs does not call us fools for just being in new and difficult situations. Proverbs does not call us fools for being inexperienced at how to handle those situations. Proverbs would not call me a fool for not knowing my way down the mountain through the forest. Proverbs assumes that we struggle and that we don't always know the way. But Proverbs would call me a fool that night on the mountain for one particular reason. Do you know what it is? And it's not even because I didn't bring a flashlight because I was a rookie, but it's close. Because what? Because I didn't listen. I was a fool that night because somebody told me to bring a flashlight and I scoffed at that advice. And that made me a fool. I said to myself, no, no. I have excellent night vision, okay? I wanna share with you, <laughs> don't laugh too hard here, okay. I'm gonna share with you uh, five closely related Proverbs, all uh, from chapters 12 through 15, that are all around this same sort of theme. And it might feel somewhat repetitive, like, okay, okay, we get, but, but just stay with it, stay with it, because we make this mistake so often in life that it's emphasized so many times in Proverbs. And so they're all kind of clustered around the same topic. We're going to look next at chapter 13, verse 10. It says, where there is strife, there is pride. Where there is strife, there is pride. It's telling us wherever there's like animosity, angry arguing, bitter conflict, if you look deeper at that, at that strife, you're gonna see somebody's pride. Somebody's pride was at stake and they wouldn't let it go. They couldn't swallow their pride and therefore there's a lot of human suffering. Pride, in the book of Proverbs, pride is the mark of the fool. Now let's take just a minute because we're gonna go deeper into this. 
to think about the word pride, we use it in different ways, okay? Sometimes we say, hey, you know what? You should take pride in your work. Now, when we use it in that way, we just mean, hey, do, do a good job, you know? T- take some ownership over what you're doing. That's not what it's talking about here. Uh, we're not talking about the, the sense of just having some sense of human dignity. We're talking about pridefulness. Pridefulness, when, when someone cares more about their own image, more about their reputation, more about projecting a state of perfection and maturity than actually moving towards maturity. Does that make sense? So we are prideful when we, we, are, we, are, we are arrogant, we are cocky, or we're insecure and just projecting that arrogance and cockiness uh, to, to, to kind of masquerade. And so we don't take anybody's input. We say, oh, I know what I'm doing. I have excellent night vision, okay? Pridefulness. And the fool acts out of pride when they hear criticism. The wise act out of humility. You can always tell the difference between a wise person and a fool the moment they receive critique. The moment they receive some kind of hard word or hard advice, the the prideful person or the fool rejects that and the wise person inclines their ear. We see this again in Proverbs 15, 5. It says, a fool spurns a parent's discipline, but whoever heeds correction shows prudence. A fool spurns a parent's discipline. How many times as kids have we failed to heed some helpful correction. 15.12, mockers resent correction. And so what do they do? They avoid the wise. They resent correction, so they avoid the wise. The word mocker uh, comes up a lot in Proverbs. Now, we don't probably use that word as much in our everyday speech, uh, but the word mocker in the book of Proverbs is, is most of the time associated with the word fool. Like the mockers and the fools, they're friends, okay? They hang out together. Uh, The mockers are basically fools that actively scoff at the righteous. They actively scoff at the wise. They make fun of wisdom and truth and they shrug it off as outdated, antiquated, that's from a different generation. Oh, oh, that is, um, I don't need to listen to that because I know better. The mockers laugh off discipline, wisdom, instruction, correction. And so 15.2 says, they also, they resent being corrected and so they avoid the wise. Now, let's do a quick soul search here. How many of you love being corrected? Do you love that? Okay, I saw one hand and then he quickly put it down when his wife saw him. (laughs) Let's say, let me give you some scenarios. You send out a group email and somebody replies to you and says, oh, just so you know, you had a a typo. You spelled the word there wrong and explained to you about the three theirs. (laughs) Do you love that? You say, oh, thank you. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that. Let's say you read an interesting news uh, story and you think, this is so interesting, I have to post it on social media. And then somebody replies to you and says, and with a, with a link to a Snopes article, and they say, actually, this is fake news. Here's where you can read uh, about how that is, is not a real story. Do you, do you love that person for pointing out your error? 
Or does part of you resent them because you feel embarrassed? When somebody points out to you that you are making a foolish life choice, do you draw near to the person who's correcting you or do you pull away from that person? Or if someone just suggests to you something that you could do a little bit better. Pride loves appearing smart more than being correct. Pride loves the appearance of, I have it together. How dare you correct me? I am sophisticated. I am better. I know what I'm doing. Don't you speak into my life. That's pride or pridefulness. It says that mockers resent correction, so they avoid the wise. It's a natural tendency, but when we follow that tendency, it puts us into the category of mockers and foolishness. I do it sometimes, and so do you. Proverbs 12.1, whoever loves discipline or correction loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. <laughs> Now, this one's a dangerous uh, verse because I have worked very hard, or I should say my wife has worked very hard and I've gotten her back at teaching our kids not to say the word stupid, okay? So one time Abigail heard me read uh, this verse and she goes, ooh, daddy said the S word, right? So let's think about this, all right? We don't, we don't want to use this in normal but it's interesting that the Bible uses the word stupid here, right? The S word. But it doesn't use it in terms of somebody who lacks intelligence. It doesn't use it as somebody who's inexperienced. It uses it in a very specific way. The person who hates to be corrected is stupid. In the story which I got lost in the forest, I was not stupid because I didn't know the way down the hill. I wasn't stupid because I lacked night vision. I wasn't stupid because I bumped into a tree. I was stupid because somebody told me to bring a flashlight and I scoffed. Verse 1313, 13, whoever scorns instruction will pay for it. <laughs> Doesn't that sound ominous? They'll pay for it, but it's not a threat. It's a natural correlation. It's a natural tendency. A natural consequence for our pride and arrogance is pain and suffering. Okay, you're getting the, getting the point, you're getting the flavor of this, right? Let me give you a couple of, uh, of, of real life stories. First one um, from somewhat modern American television, okay? My wife and I got really into watching American Idol from 2004 to about 2012. You guys remember this? I know it's still on today. Man, now people watch The Voice or America's Got Talent, but I really love those early days of American Idol when you would just see the first round of competition and there'd be a, a singer who's come with maybe some family members and they, and they come into the audition and they're gonna see Paula Abdul and Randy Jackson and America's sweetheart is? Simon Cowell. <laughs> Simon Cowell. And Simon Cowell was always the highlight. What is he going to say? Because he would just kind of tell it like it is. And, and he would sometimes give people really kind of, you know, harsh correction, but, but speaking the truth into their, into their uh, professional journey. And so here, here was the situation. 
they would either be, the contestants would either be really amazing singers or they'd be really awful, okay? They screened out the moderate people, didn't let them get on TV. So, so I, I got really uh, good at predicting which singers were gonna be good and which singers were gonna be awful. It took me just a few seasons to figure it out. The first couple seasons, I was paying attention to the singer. Can I, can I, can I figure out, can I tell by what, the way they're dressed or the way they look or the way they talk, uh, whether they're gonna be good or not? And actually, it was very hard to predict if you're watching the singer. But I figured out with almost 100% accuracy how to tell if that person was gonna be good. And you know what I learned is you don't look at the singer, you look at the person next to them the person they brought with them, and the voice that they are listening to. And here was the thing. They always had a friend or a family member with them that came along to the audition. And they would often show via video uh, the conversations they were having with this person before the tryout. And if the person they brought along was saying something like this, hey, don't worry, just stay calm, uh, just do your best. Remember everything that your vocal coach taught you and just you know, breathe deeply, do your exercises. You're gonna, you're gonna be fine. You're gonna do great, okay? That person was always a great singer. They were fantastic. But then if the person that, that, that another contestant brought with them, uh, who's usually like a mom or a dad, if I heard them saying to the singer, just remember, you're the best singer I have ever heard in my life. You are better than Adele. You're better than Mariah Carey. You're better than Ella Fitzgerald. You are the greatest singer in America. Just remember that. That singer was gonna be awful. Every time that singer was awful. And why was that? Because the message that they were constantly hearing is that they are already perfect. They're already there. They're just gonna walk in, they're gonna dominate, and they're gonna, they're gonna win the competition without ever having to go through the process that everyone else goes through in developing their craft. And so inevitably, they would face Simon Cowell, who would say something like this, well, it's not just that you have a bad voice, it's that you were singing notes that haven't yet been invented. <laughs> or, or he'd tell him, you sounded exactly like three cats being strangled in an alley. You know, one time he said something like, um, you know, I think you should register your voice with the war department because you just invented a new form of torture. So he would, he would say some truth without love. As Christians, we want to say truth and love together. But a lot of times these people have only heard affirmation with no truth. And so what happened for these folks who had been surrounded by this voice of, you're perfect, you're the best singer in America, you, you know, all of that, is they would just be in a state of shock. And what would they say? Would, say, would they say, oh, well, Simon Cowell, you as a professional music industry, what are some things I could work on to hone my craft? Is that what they said? No, almost never. What they would do is they'd be like, how could you say that about me? My, my mom and all her friends tell me I'm the best singer in America. You must not know anything about music. And in order to maintain their delusion that they are a perfect singer, they would attack the voice that had spoken criticism into them. You've seen this before? This is what happens. This is what Proverbs is talking about for us. It's, it's, it's the fool or the mocker that hates correction and so, and so distance themselves from anybody who would say anything uh, about them changing. 
but it's the wise they're gonna draw near to advice. And I think this is, a, this is an important word for us because I think there's a powerful voice that's become just stronger and stronger in our world today, which is always saying that the way to love somebody is to tell them they are perfect exactly as they are, and that any voice to say that you should change or improve in any way is a voice of, uh, of, of, of hate, and you should just push that out of your life. As opposed to saying, yes, you are flawed, but I love you, and I will work with you, and I'll embrace you and affirm you as I'm a voice in your life to help you to improve and to grow and to be transformed more and more into likeness of Jesus Christ. Those are different voices. And wisdom's voice says, I love you, and I'll help you work on some things. I'll give you a, a, one more example of this from, uh, from history. Uh, and this dates back to uh, the, the Great Leap Forward in China from 1958 to 1962. So I was an economics major in college. I mean, we, we studied this as a case scenario for our economics class, but I actually came to think this was quite a lesson in just the, the concept of pride and the concept of wisdom. So in China from 1958 to 1962, Mao Zedong led China through a series of communist economic reforms called the Great Leap Forward. And one of the key foundations of this was that private farms were abolished in preference for group communes of cooperation. We can think we have a picture here. So the idea was, his theory was, and the theory of kind of the economic, communist economic development was that a private, a small private farm owned by a family that's inefficient, it's, we need to work as teams. And so we abolish private ownership and we make a large, you know, the, the whole village has a farm and they all work together as a team. And his assumption was that this could double the efficiency of the farm and that rice production would double. Now here's this great thing, that went, or this horrible thing that went wrong is that he didn't test his theory. He didn't roll it out in one particular farm and, and do a, a case scenario, did it work? Okay, now let's roll out to the whole country. He just said, no, absolutely, of course this is gonna work. And so abolished it throughout uh, the entire country. And the whole, the whole rice production, they abolished private ownership. They went to this, this teamwork method and they, he absolutely said, if everybody works hard at this, it will work. And the only way it's not gonna work is if people are sabotaging it. So the biggest problem was not just that it didn't work, but that he did not know that it didn't work. If people gave him bad news, they were punished and sometimes even disappeared or they were fired. And so nobody wanted to give him bad reports, bad statistics that countered what he expected. Now, if you don't hear the, good, the bad news, does it go away? No, it doesn't go away. So what happened next was uh, something they refer to as the village rice game. People didn't want to give him bad news. And so what they ended up finding was that the, a lot of these villages produced exactly the same. It didn't go down necessarily, but it produced about exactly the same amount of rice uh, as before. But what they would do is three villages would conspire together to give him good news and they'd pool all the rice that was harvested from the three villages and they put it in one pile. And then when he and his officers would come to inspect it, they would count the rice and be like, wow, this village produced three times as much rice. Amazing, my reforms have worked. And then he'd prepare to go to the next village and what would the villagers do? They picked up the rice, they moved it to the next village before he got there and unknowingly he counted the same rice again. And then again in the third village and he proclaimed, 
It's unbelievable. We've tripled our rice production in this area. And the people that day felt that they had succeeded. We've given him good news. Everybody wins, right? Except that based on the official counts of the rice, that year the government decided to begin exporting massive amounts of rice to use that to fund the industrialization. And what ended up happening is in a year in which these farmers produced enough rice to feed everybody in the country, 30 million people starved to death because they exported so much of that rice. And these kind of situations that happen, it's this this major example that's studied from economics of just just what happens in this flow of of bad information. What happens when, when, when actual statistics, actual hard truth doesn't filter up to policy decision makers, sometimes one person or one group of people's pride can have massive negative impact on other people. It says in 1313, whoever scorns instruction will pay for it. Sometimes it's the people around us that pay for it. Now we look at the opposite of that. If we don't want to be, how many people vote you want to be a fool? Anybody? Okay. How many want to be wise? So let's flip it and let's look back at these briefly for the mark of the wise. The mark of the wise is they welcome correction. The wise seek it out. Please, someone, let me know if I'm out of line. Let's look back at some of these same proverbs looking at the flip side. Okay, 15.5. A fool spurns a parent's discipline, but whoever heeds correction shows prudence. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. 13.10. Wisdom is found in those who take advice. And 12.15. The way of the fool seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. So the wise are defined by their hunger for advice, correction, coaching, and input. So let's say you've gotten to the point where you've been persuaded. You're like, okay, 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 Proverbs, I get it. I get it. Bible, you, you want me to look for good advice and to really seek it into my life. How do I find it? Maybe you're in a situation where you're like, I just get conflicting advice, right? I got conflicting advice about pandemic protocols. I get conflicting advice about marriage, about parenting, about, about dieting. You know, some days salt is good, some days salt is bad. Who knows what to do, right? What do, how do I sort through conflicting advice? Okay, here's three tips for you. The first one is this. Don't choose advice. Choose advisors. Don't choose advice. Choose advisors. One of the major, major pitfalls that we see that leads us to foolishness is when we go shopping for advice because we usually choose to listen to the advice that we already wanted to hear. So we seek out people like, you know what, this person would understand because they tend to make the same kind of mistakes. Okay, well maybe they tend to make the same kind of mistakes because they are not that wise. Or maybe they have the same particular problem that you have and they might lead you down that same road. We tend to pick advice from people who make us feel good, but the danger is that might be flattery. We, we tend to pick people to tell us the direction we already go. When we're doing that, we're not actually searching for wisdom. We, we're searching for affirmation and acceptance. 
And affirmation and acceptance are beautiful things, but they're not exactly the same thing as wisdom. This happens all throughout the Old Testament. The Old Testament, a prophet, most of the time a prophet's job was to go give hard, bad news to a king. Hey, you're messing up. You're leading the people into idolatry. You need to change your ways or there will be a consequence. That's basically what the prophet's job was to do. And most of the kings would hear the hard word from the prophet and they'd say, you know what, I don't like what you're saying. Let me go consult some other advisors that are on my payroll. Hey, they tell me that I'm doing perfectly fine, so I'm gonna go with them, now off with your head. That's what happens over and over again. Think about when Moses confronts Pharaoh. What happens? When Moses confronts Pharaoh, Pharaoh goes, well, let me go check to my own wise people. No, they say I shouldn't be afraid of the God of Israel, so you can stay in slavery, and then there's more and more consequences. We see it all throughout the stories of the kings. They shop for advice. When, when, the, when the nation of Israel actually gets, up, it gets split in two, it comes from the pridefulness of Rehoboam, one of the kings, who won't listen to good advice over and over again. But Jesus says you can know a tree by its fruits. And so what we can do is we look to people's lives and we look for people who have habits of wise choices. This person tends to make wise choices in their lives. This person seems to be the kind of person that carries a flashlight into the woods at night. This person seems to be the kind of person who's soaked in wisdom, who's soaked in the word of God and willing to bravely say the wise thing. When you find someone like that, you find a wise person, then you count them an advisor and you trust their advice. Particularly when you don't already know what they're going to say. Does that make sense? So you don't go shopping for the advice you want to hear. You go shopping for a good advisor who has demonstrated wisdom in their life. Okay, here's the second principle of getting good advice. Garbage in, garbage out. Anybody heard that phrase before? We got any programmers in the room? I know we do. This phrase, uh, I'm told, comes from uh, the early days of uh, IBM. There was an IBM programmer who was training other programmers. And some of the programmer students would complain and say, this stupid computer is broken. And the programmer would say, the computer's not broken, it's your code that's broken. If you put garbage into the computer, garbage will come back out. Bad code, bad result. You've heard this before? Okay, so here's what we do, a big mistake we make when we're looking for advice. We go to somebody and we think, we find someone, okay, we find someone who's wise, and then what do we do? We tell them, our side of the story. We tell them all the facts and information about our situation that make us look good, and we omit all the things from our story that make us look bad, and then we ask the advisor for advice, they tell something that sounds nice, and we roll with that. But guess what? Garbage in, garbage out. If you don't give the person you're seeking advice all the information, including the embarrassing parts, you cannot trust their advice. They just don't have the data. Okay, I told you a story a couple weeks ago where I was counseling a student when I was a college pastor. And uh, this, this woman said to me, hey, she told me about this story. And, and I told her, hey, I think there's some serious red flags about this boy that you want to date, uh, including the fact that he's married and lied to you about it for six months. Those feel like red flags to me. And she said, one of the things that she said back to me was really like... You know, my mom and all her friends and all my friends are really excited about that guy. They think I should pursue him. So I asked her the question, but did you tell your mom that the guy was married? 
And she goes, well, no, 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 that's super embarrassing. I wouldn't tell that to my mom. <laughs> then, then, how, then what good is your mom's advice when you don't give her any of the relevant information? How could she possibly guide you if you didn't tell her that this guy lied to you for six months about his marital stuff? How, how, could, how could this advice help you, right? You have to actually give the whole information and then they can help sort you out. You know, see what I'm saying? So you find a trusted, wise person, then you give them all the information, even the part that's difficult to say. And then here's this third tip. The hard words are usually the wise words. The hard words are the wise words. When you are looking at conflicting advice, we have such a strong tendency to gravitate towards what we already want to hear that we can't really trust that. And we sometimes need to, 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 to wait it the other direction by gravitating and moving ourselves towards the hard words. Not 100% of the time, but majority of the time, the thing that hits us, we're like, oh, that's hard to hear, we should draw near to. And that's universally the case in the book of Proverbs. Okay, so let's say we've accepted the fact that we want to be wise, we want to seek out correction, we want to overcome our pridefulness, we're going to find wise advisors in our life, and we're going to give them all the information, and we're going to trust them when they say hard things. Let's say we get to that point, and we now have fountains of wisdom in our lives. What about the other side of that? What about if it's not you in the position of needing the advice, but it's your friend? What about if it's you that has something to say? You have some wisdom or insight into a mistake your friend is making, and you see them doing this and you're worried about them. What about that? Proverbs tells us that a true friend tells the truth. A true friend tells the truth. In 28, 23, it says this, whoever rebukes a person will in the end gain favor rather than the one who has a flattering tongue. Whoever rebukes a person will in the end gain favor rather than the one who has a flattering tongue. Now, our, our intuition is sometimes the opposite, right? We sometimes think, you know what, this person, man, they are... I, you know, I can see that there's this gambling addiction that's really, you know, tearing up their marriage, tearing up their life, it's running them to the ground. I, I, feel like, I feel like I should say something, but then we think to ourselves, but uh, I'll just come off as judgmental, you know, who am I to say something? You know, uh, it'll, it'll ruin our friendship, and so we stay silent, right? Maybe we just use words of flattery and affirmation rather than the, the hard word, right? But Proverbs tells us the opposite, that at the end of the day, when all is said and done, the person who rebukes a righteous person will in the end gain favor rather than the one who has a flattering tongue. 27.6, wounds from a friend can be trusted. This is one of my favorite ones. This is one of the ones that I really try to hold and live by. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. And it's confusing to us because we usually think if someone's blowing kisses at us, that's a good sign, right? Well, not always. It can, could be weird sometimes. But if somebody's kind of giving us that, or like they always seem friendly towards us, it seems good. But it says wounds from a friend can be trusted. So let me ask you, do you have a friend that you would trust to wound you? Do you have a friend in your life that you trust to wound you. And then here's the opposite of that. Do you have a friend 
that would trust you to wound them? Do you have a friend that would trust you to wound them with a hard word of wisdom of correction? Proverbs says that this is true friendship, a form of love. When it's in the context of a friendship, we mess this up all the time by, by going all Simon Cowell on them, okay? But when you can speak the truth in love, it can be one of the most powerful forms of friendship that you can offer to someone and it can lift them up into greater life. And this last scripture that I wanna share with you on this point is that the Lord is that kind of friend to you. This is how the Lord interacts with us. Chapter three, verse 11. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son that he delights in. Some kind of a rebuke from the Lord is not a sign of judgment or a sign of casting off, but it's actually a sign of love. The Lord sends his hard word, view it as an act of love. It means that he loves you. It means that God is fighting for you. It means that God sees great potential in you and views you as worth correcting. Thank him for his love. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word, even when it's hard. We thank you for loving us enough to correct us. We thank you, and we ask, God, we ask that you would bring these kind of relationships into our lives, relationships that could wound us as a friend in your name for the purpose of our growth. And we pray that we could also give that act of love for other people. Lord, anchor us in your wisdom. Help us to hear from your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us in worship today. We'd love to have you come back uh, every week. Uh, just great to be with you. If you'd like prayer, we have some people ready. That they'll come right over here and they'll pray for you about anything going on um, in your life. Now hear this benediction, this, this blessing. May you know the humble king. May you know the love of the Lord Jesus in your life. May you learn to recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit as God leads you in a life of wisdom and love and righteousness. May you know his grace, may you know his smile, and may you hear his voice. May you be people of wisdom and truth all your days. In Jesus' name, amen.